It's Monday, the 6th of January, and this is the Monocle Minute. Today, Brazil's president has made chaos a key part of his political brand, but with only a third of voters now supporting him, will upcoming local elections signal a shift in the political tide? Plus, Dana Thomas looks at how digital pressures are shifting the focus for luxury fashion firms. New York raises the curtain on a small cinema mini-revival. And as the United States enters another election year, we'll examine the rocky road ahead as the Democrats select a candidate to take on Donald Trump. I'm Ben Ryland in London. The Monocle Minute starts now. If you thought the politics of Britain and the United States had a turbulent 2019, spare a thought for Brazil. The perpetually outraged president, Jair Bolsonaro, has made chaos part of his brand. But his appeal seems to be wearing off, as Monocle's Fernando Augusto Pacheco reports. It's been a turbulent year in a number of Latin American countries, no more so than Brazil. After a rather chaotic first year in power, President Jair Bolsonaro retains the support of only a third of the Brazilian electorate. A big test will come in the form of local elections in October. The country will vote for mayors and councillors in every one of its 5,570 municipalities, and Bolsonaro might struggle to get his favoured candidates over the line. In Rio de Janeiro, for example, current mayor Marcelo Crivella, an ally of the president's, is fast losing support, even among his traditional base of evangelical and conservative voters. Instead, expect a close race between centrist former mayor Eduardo Paes and leftist candidate Marcelo Freixo. The elections promise to continue Brazil's political fragmentation. Its Congress is made up of representatives from more than 30 parties. The increasingly volatile electorate is good reason for Bolsonaro and more traditional parties to worry. Shortly before Christmas, just as the news cycle ought to have been winding down, the US magazine Christianity Today generated headlines after it published a scathing editorial against Donald Trump. It read in part that the president's Twitter feed alone, with its habitual string of mischaracterizations, lies and slanders, is a near-perfect example of a human being who is morally lost and confused. Now, for some observers, the most surprising part of the editorial was that it took this long for the magazine to publish it. However, the religious media does play an influential role in American politics, and it represents a shift in support for the president. That shift was felt by the readers, too. While the magazine reported some cancelled subscriptions, it says that this was easily offset by a bump in new subscribers. So does this mean that newspaper and magazine editorials still wield influence in 2020? Joy Ledico is a journalist and columnist. I am making a moral judgment that he's morally unfit, even more precisely, It's his public morality that makes him unfit. Clearly, the editor all the way along has been thinking, I'm not quite sure this is our guy. And given that the primaries are coming up for the Democratic nomination, people are beginning to focus on whether they want Trump back, that and the impeachment. I think if you are not American, you do not understand quite what an important role religion plays within various of the communities who were probably the big Trump backers. It is quite a significant shift. Various people started cutting their subscriptions as a result. There is a point when various people thought Trump was 
God. And various of those readers do indeed think Trump is God still. And therefore, you do not criticise a kind of some sort of divine being, quite why a system which is set up to be a republic, a president with no hereditary links. And if you think the US is founded off the back of the kind of French uh, dissatisfaction with their leaders and their divine right, it seems completely bizarre to then elevate Donald Trump to a position of God. However, I mean, I was in the US for the uh, run up to the Trump election and I remember being on a bus and there was a, a guy who was kind of raving. He was kind of clearly a bit mad, but he was also an evangelical and he was both quoting the Bible. His great stance was against Hillary Clinton. He kept saying, she is the devil, she has she has sinned, she is a lesbian. And it was very striking. You were just listening to it thinking, I don't know, you clearly have not been reading any of the media about Trump. But at that point, I realised the religious community had indeed been fed certain sort of dog whistle tunes against Hillary Clinton. Has he gone so far that the evangelical constituency that we represent, can we in good conscience do the trade-off anymore? 40 years ago, when there was sort of virtually nothing else going on and William Rees-Mogg would sort of say Mick Jagger should not be prosecuted because it would be like breaking a butterfly on a wheel, it did in fact change opinion and they were heavily read within the centres of power. There's been a diffusion of opinion all the way through across the media. Uh, there was a recent survey on the UK electorate and they said, well, actually it's television that is most likely to shift people's opinions of newspapers, probably about 15% felt their opinion would be shifted by that. And you have to bear in mind, only 6% of readers of newspapers actually read the leader column anyway. So does it change opinion? Not particularly. It wasn't so long ago that it seemed fast fashion may be the way of the future. But with consumers now increasingly aware of the social and environmental cost of disposable clothing, the focus among fashion firms is shifting. Dana Thomas is the author of Fashionopolis, The Price of Fast Fashion and the Future of Clothes. Well, in the 2010s or even since the year 2000, it's been about accessories, most mainly the handbag. And not just the handbag, but the it bag. You know, the markup for handbags, when I wrote my first book, Deluxe, How Luxury Lost Its Luster, in 2008, the markup on handbags was 12 to 15 times the cost. Now it's something like 20 to 25 to 30 times. Like, you know, if it costs 100 make, they're going to sell it for 30 times more that. Now, handbag sales are on the wane. So one of the things that luxury brands are going to have to do is think about how they're going to replace this engine. And it has been an engine. You know, even fashion brands like Yves Saint Laurent, or Christian Dior, their sales were driven, driven, driven by handbags. And Saint Laurent said, we will see success once we have an it bag. So it shows you right there the, the power that it's been. And it's really dropped. Handbag sales are down 20% in the first eight months of 2019 compared to just three years ago. And it's going to keep dropping. In part, that's because of resale and reuse. So when people want a new handbag, they don't want a new handbag that's necessarily the it bag of the season. The it bag idea is evaporating. It's almost gone. And brands are going to have to come up with plan B to the it bag. As long as we can remember, it's all been about the fashion magazine. The wonderful documentary, the September issue, showed the power of the fashion magazine and how brands were using it to not only with advertising of their own marketing, but also working with the magazine editors to get their their items placed in editorial layouts and then working with the department stores directly so that they could do the push and say, this is the it bag or this is the item of the season. And then you would go to the department stores and buy them. 
but department stores are closing by the hundreds. Like you blink and they close. Malls are shuttering. Luxury fashion is going to have to come again up with a new idea and a new way to market that is not the same way they've always done it. To New York now, where it's curtains up on a mini revival of small cinemas. Do you want the West Side to become one big, gigantic strip mall? Do you want to get off the subway at 72nd and Broadway and not even know you're in New York City? The plight of Meg Ryan's character, Kathleen Kelly, in the romantic comedy You've Got Mail from 1998 was always intended as a cautionary tale of urbanism unchecked. But even the film's director, Nora Ephron, couldn't have known just how prescient it would all prove to be. Its message still echoes throughout its setting, New York's Upper West Side, where the closure of the Lincoln Plaza cinemas two years ago left a gap in the neighborhood's culture scene. In its place is the New Plaza, an upstart run by a group of dedicated local enthusiasts. And what they lack in funds, they make up for with timing. Recent years have seen the Metrograph roar to life on the Lower East Side, with its unexpected mix of titles and five-star food proving a hit, while Netflix captured the spotlight with its takeover of the classic single-screen Paris theatre, a brisk walk from Saks Fifth Avenue. Such cultural spaces rarely represent the highest investment return, but... As Nora Ephron reminded us, planners and developers should also consider the value they bring to those who make the city their home. And finally today, our editorial team examines the road to Washington as this year's presidential election heats up. Roll up, roll up, the circus is coming to a state near you. We're approaching the business end of the US election cycle, that protracted, drama-filled and cash-heavy roadshow with its infinite lurches. Well, sort of. Although there's some way to go until Americans finally enter the polls on the 3rd of November, fear not. We can enjoy the bun fight through a series of caucuses and primary votes over who'll become the next Democratic candidate. As ever, the contenders will be looking to score big in Iowa at the start of February, where campaign managers insist that momentum is the name of the game going into New Hampshire and beyond. Here's what we've learned so far. Pundits are fearful of making predictions after the surprises of 2016. Joe Biden is somehow managing to stay at the top of the pack despite a series of blunders and gaffes. Fated candidates... Kamala Harris, anyone, can suddenly falter and nosedive, and the clutch of democratic potentials is looking a lot whiter than it once was, despite the party's claims that it would counter Donald Trump's nativism through diversity. So, what's to come? Expect plenty of screaming matches on cable television, and be prepared to be thoroughly perplexed about the role of democratic superdelegates at the National Convention in Wisconsin in July. And get ready for the histrionics of Super Tuesday on March the 3rd, when 15 states and jurisdictions hold their primaries, including, for the first time on that day, California. The big unknown, of course, is to be found in whether the impeachment trial in the Senate will quash Trump's chances of re-election, or simply play into his oft-touted witch-hunt discourse. Make a prediction? We couldn't possibly. That's our program for today. Read and subscribe to our daily email bulletin at our website, monocle.com. I'm Ben Ryland. The Monocle Minute returns on Tuesday. Tuesday.